One step closer. Um, good morning, Stacy. How are you? Morning, John. I'm doing well. I'm uh, calling in from home, getting ready for the holiday uh, week here in North Carolina. So it's kind of nice to be home for once. Great, and and I'm sure it's blanketed with snow for the holidays in North Carolina. No, no, blanketed with leaves though. Lots of leaves. <laughs> Blanketed with leaves over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house. That's this time of year. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so, what's in the mailbag? It's a it's a light week, being a holiday week here in the U.S. Um, well, some of the news that we have is from our international community because a lot of them are continuing to work while we take most of the week off here in the United States for Thanksgiving, um, and then. Uh, we have some interesting, I think, conversations to have around what's happening with um, uh, net neutrality. Uh, those here in the U.S. Um, have been following that um, uh, conversation for a while. It's back on the table again. Um, we have some conversations, I think, based off of some work you're doing in the artificial intelligence space and whether or not there are um, going to be um, some standards or some regulations or some maybe a better way to put it is um, uh, recommended approaches to sort of uh, governing your artificial intelligence in your organization. Um, and then, you know, internationally, there's some interesting news happening. Um, if you follow Australia HR Tech, there's IntelliHR it's, uh, announcing its IPO. Uh, Unleash, which is a um, European-based, um, which used to be known as HR Tech World Congress uh, group, that does events, um, has appointed a new head of strategy there. Um, and we also see that IHRP and CIPD are partnering to create an advanced HR community in Singapore, uh, which will sort of be along the lines of what I would assume is sort of like a SHRM leadership level um, group. So all of that happening internationally. So uh, lots of little things to talk about, but probably um, – uh, some interesting stuff if you're um, looking at international HR technology and definitely some interesting stuff if you're looking at um, artificial intelligence here in the States. So where do you want to start, John? Well, why don't we just go through the mailbag and see what happens. So IntelliHR, do you know anything about IntelliHR? I don't know much about them. I have heard of them. Um, they're, very, they're fairly a small organization, but you know, one of the things I've noted is that smaller organizations – on the HR tech side, seem to go IPO earlier or more uh, are more likely to go earlier in the Australia-based market. This is an Australia-based organization, um, and it is an organization that focuses on the automation of HR processes and data analytics. The reason it sort of caught my eye when I was looking at some of the information this morning was they are basically commenting that they're going to invest um, – in the automation of HR processes with a focus on analytics at the base, which basically means they're, they're sort of an HR platform, but their goal is to have it sort of um, underpinned by the analytics. And we've, we've been talking about that for quite some time, that you know, automated services and analytics become sort of the, the natural next pairing for artificial intelligence. So 
it's just interesting, I think, to watch what's happening in the Australian market. They're starting to see more and more of these organizations go um, public. I think. So. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking at their numbers, and they've got 26 employees. And the the idea that a an operation with 26 employees would be a public entity, it, it, you'd never get away with that <laughs> in the United States. The the, the no, basic yeah. minimum threshold is is you know you 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 could get away with going public at 50 million dollars in revenue or I've, I've seen mm-hmm. it happen at 20 but that's between 200 and 500 or 600 people so so this is a tenth of the size of the smallest kind of IPO in the states so i wonder what it is about the uh, we, we should we should go to Australia and find out. Um, I, I think it's uh, worth the conversation. Yeah, maybe we could find someone who could give us some insight into the IPOs in the Australian market and uh, yeah, the smaller organizations. Yeah. You know, you know, one page, um, which which was a San Francisco company, went public on the Australian market, um, had a tremendous run up and just was never able to execute it. I believe they they closed the doors last summer. Um, so, mm-hmm. so we've seen some American companies try to take advantage of the uh, flexibility in the Australian stock market and not be able to execute because the money came in, but the size was was not significant. Yeah. So, yeah. and that's that's an issue, right? You need enough money to get some of these things off the ground, right? So. That's right. Cool. So that's IntelliHR, and then we're on to the, those folks at uh, HR Tech Europe, HR Tech World, <laughs> HR Tech. Uh, you know, they, they they struggled for a while getting the nomenclature correct. Are now calling yeah. themselves Unleash, and they've appointed a guy called Mark Downey as their head of strategy, which is. Yep. Which is which is fascinating to me because the company has been um, um, a, a classic example of CEO-led strategy for as long as I've known it. So so that's that's a big change there. It, it is a bit. Um, this is a, a, a gentleman from Ireland. Um, he's an engineer with hands-on business experience. Um, an MBA from Central European University um, in Budapest. So he, so he works in the area where they're headquartered there. Um, and their comment on him is his big picture thinking, candid approach, and depth of experience in engineering corporate life and startups bring an essential skill set to Unleash um, and its fast-growing startup community. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, part of what they're also saying in the statement uh, announcing his um, – hiring is that they are planning on offering more to their communities, um, particularly their startup communities. So their innovation network of organizations that are sort of in that little startup group that always gets that, the stand up booths at events, you know, where they, you know, they're a little tiny, tiny little screen and, and they're all sort of crunched together and they stand for eight hours straight and you kind of feel bad for them, but um, they love having the opportunity to be at these events. It sounds like this person is going to have a role with some of those groups as well. So um, maybe they're looking at doing more for developing that community, or maybe they're looking at doing more for investments. I don't know. It doesn't quite state that as much. So that's that, that's that's a fascinating idea. So this is a story about a new model in the trade show business, 
right? The mm-hmm. the the um, uh, uh, HR tech world or Unleash uh, has been a trade a, a simple trade show operation, and now they're going to start doing something that looks like a cross between incubation and lead generation for for startups. I wonder, it'd be very interesting. We should probably get these guys on the phone and, and, mm-hmm. and see if they're going to be taking equity stakes in these companies. Cause that's a, that, that's a logical thing to do. If what you're doing is uh, chaperoning them through development with an engineer and uh, lead generation with a trade show. Do you think there's any, and I guess, you know, the thing about trade shows is they never do comment on the fact that they're they're not vendor neutral. They're basically the highest bidder gets the space, at least on the trade show floor, right? But but does that call any concern in place from your perspective, or, or do you think this is just sort of the natural evolution of where these things are heading? Well, there aren't any particular rules. You, you know, there's no law about how to run a trade show, and... Um, a collective of of companies is kind of what you you know this is this is just not a very american um approach to organizing one of these things this mm-hmm. is this is as if um you, you know there's a in my town there's a a company called O'Reilly Publishing and O'Reilly Publishing is the brainchild of Tim O'Reilly and his partner Dale Doherty, and they have been for 30 years the biggest, most focused, and most successful publisher of technical manuals for software developers in the world. And mm-hmm. and Tim, who is um, um, widely sought for his advice about technology, Tim. Uh, built an adjacent business called O'Reilly Alpha Ventures, which is a, a, a highly successful venture capital fund that invests in early stage startups. And so that model, which is uh, technical information plus uh, startup development done by the same team or same guy, is is a very interesting um, model here, he's done it to, to extraordinary success. So, so maybe that's what Mark Coleman and his team are up to. Uh, it would be, it'd be very interesting to to understand if that's what they're after. Yeah, well, it's definitely worth some conversations with them. I mean, they've definitely increased the membership of their attendance um, pretty dramatically in these sort of global events they're doing. If they can show that same kind of increase in this sort of investment area, it, it could mean some some you know, major growth for them. So it's definitely a place to watch. Um, sort of on a, on a similar note, um, IHRP, for those of you know, sort of international HR professionals, and CIPD, which is sort of the European-based, particularly the UK-based um, group, which is Certified Professionals, um, Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, CIPD, right, um, have announced a partnership to create an advanced uh, an advanced HR community in Singapore. Um, I don't know that this is a, a huge announcement, but I guess for me what was sort of struck me is that we are starting to see, particularly in Asia-Pacific market, more focus on HR in general, uh, which means more opportunities to have um, uh, events, more conversations in the HR space. Um, is this something you're hearing, you know, sort of, 
in the, you know, you've been talking to a lot of the startup organizations and artificial intelligence organizations. Do you think that this focus on HR and the Asia-Pacific market is, is going to roll over into some of the technology as well, John, or is this sort of a process and practice place where you think it's just getting started there? Oh, I think it's, it's very easy to underestimate what's going on in the rest of the world. Uh, and and it's very easy to misunderstand the differences between HR in the United States and HR in Europe, HR in India, HR in Asia. So so I think that that we're going to see an explosion of companies doing HR technology in places like Singapore um, and mm -hmm. India and China, uh, Japan for that matter. Uh, and, and they, they will all be culturally sensitive to their home cu cultures, just like we are to yeah. ours. And, and the number of companies delivering HR technology is liable to explode as a result. Uh, this mm -hmm. this collaboration, but it, it sounds like there is. I, I've been I've been asked to speak at an event in Singapore this time next year, and they have five thousand HR folks at the event. So wow. it's so That's it's it's a it's a tremendous market, uh, and I would, never would have guessed it was a tremendous market. And so I think I think we're going to see if we watch closely, we're going to see the evolution of these um, uh, players. It'll, yeah. it'll be it's, interesting. It's interesting. I just did a briefing last week with the um, uh, People Strong uh, organization, uh, which is basically an India-based human capital management solution that is only focused on the India market. Although they've come to the U.S. primarily to make sure they're known as an India-based human capital management system for organizations who have international branches and who have India-based employees and who need India-based payroll as well as workforce management and core HR. So what they find is they have a lot of divisional groups who will purchase them to manage the, their India-based workforces from an HR perspective. And I will have to say I was absolutely blown away by the recruiting platform that they showed me because I, for the life of me, couldn't figure out how it was dramatically different from what I've been seeing some, with some of the newest and most interesting recruiting platforms here in the States. Obviously, scalability is a big issue. Obviously, you know, they're focusing on different things. So, for example, they had a whole section on um, the uh, outsourced recruiting um, organizations and their role in the HR function, which is a little bit different than what you see in the, uh, the U.S.-focused ones. So I think you're right. We're going to start to see more of these applications uh, scale and grow on the technology side, um, and it'll be interesting to see how they compare to uh, what has traditionally sort of grown out of the U.S. and European markets. So, yeah. Cool. So what's next? Well, um, you know, the big conversation going on these days is the net neutrality is again back in the news, John. I know it feels like we just got done talking about this, what, two years ago, I think? We thought it was put to bed. Uh, the Obama administration basically came down and said that um, they were going to sort of, um, based off of the amount of feedback they got and the amount of concern they got in the market, set regulations that would allow, that would not allow the I, um the um, ISP vendors to basically charge more for faster access 
in the internet, um, not to individual people, but to the people who are actually have the content basically. So, you know, we all buy different speeds of internet when we buy our various, you know, broadband or not broadband or internet speed applications, we pay for that. But the people who provide content do not have to pay to make sure their content is on a um, faster speed road, basically, on the Internet. And that is basically what's happening right now. It looks like the FCC is rolling back um, those uh, regulations and basically saying they're, they're going to put in place the idea that um, these organizations um, will self-regulate. They will promise that they will not do this, but they're not going to mandate or regulate them. Um, so are you hearing a lot about this in your neck of the woods? I'm sure the, uh, the Bay Area is all up in arms on this one. <laughs> well, it's it's really interesting. You know, this is another um, political divide question, right? The, the, the Democrats like companies like Facebook and Google, the content providers, um, and the Republicans like Comcast, Verizon, ATT, who are the bandwidth providers. Um, and so net neutrality favors uh, the Republican companies and uh, disadvantages the Democratic companies at that top level. The, the question for content providers like HR Examiner is crazy, right? The, 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 yeah. The degree to which we won't be able to participate, where the degree to which there'll be a additional latency in our services, uh, can't be overstated. And so, we've been able to for I've been able to compete for 25 years with really big companies because the net has been a standard and you got the same service as everybody else and that's about to change and so so i think the real concern that you may not hear is from small companies the bigger companies in in the valley the the companies who dominate our conversations um um have to figure out how to navigate this and can't really complain very loudly about it and they can't really afford to to upset either side of the debate so they'll just write the bigger check um, and it'll flow down into their pricing that's less of an option when you're smaller it's less of an option and to some extent um, we're also going to see that that this is going to play out I think not just in technology access and not just in media access, but it's also going to play out in uh, services access, right? So um, which services do you have access to in your location and in your region and in your area um, is a big conversation. Um, and if the speed of the, of the Internet gets sort of throttled based off of location or um, off of um, payment that people are willing to pay for various areas, what you're going to see is that they will reduce probably their willingness to invest in those regions that don't have big audiences that they can reach, which means those audiences will be less likely to get a lot of the services that we're starting to see roll out across the Internet as well. Um, so this is this could become a really big issue, particularly from an um, inclusion and diversity perspective for who has access to information, um, not just which access gets or which information has gets to pay more or not pay more, right, for uh, reaching people. 
You know what's crazy? If you if you were to go take the red state blue state map and overlay that on coverage maps for the major cell phone providers, what you'd see is that the red states have worse cell phone coverage, right? And, and, doubt, and you yeah. you and I deal with that every day that that the further into flyover territory you go, the more likely it is to be the case that the cell, cell phone call drops yep. or that, that if you're there, you can't get cell phone coverage. And so, so the situation is going to worsen in those places. Yep. Uh, the, the, the internet coverage in those areas is already spotty. Yep. It'll get worse. It'll get worse It'll get because worse. this 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 kind of legislation creates no incentive for creating a level playing field across the country. It entirely incents the kind of thing that you're talking about, which is selling to the markets that already have a lot, so that you could make a little more. Yeah, exactly. And and this comes right on top of um, a. Uh, a commission vote in the um, House, I think it was in the House, um, last week around the media outlets and the fact that they're now weakening rules, the FCC is, um, for support of independent local media. So for those who probably don't follow a lot of journalism, there used to be a very, very important sort of um, uh, regulation in place that you couldn't own two radio stations or two media outlets uh, by the same person or company, right, in a local region. And this was really important when there was sort of three stations, three, five, and eight, or maybe two or three radio stations, so that basically you wouldn't get all your news from a single source, right? Basically, you would then have, you know, Channel 5, Channel 8, Channel you know, 6, whatever you had, would all sort of have different owners, which meant they had sort of more uh, neutral perspectives in the market, right? And they would have real competition between them as well. Um, they've just um, made it more likely that your media outlets could all now be owned by the same entity along with this, which was those two things combined, once again, means you're going to have less and less local-focused, um, regional-focused um, content and information, which is a big issue, for particularly for those small areas out in the middle of um, regions where you can't reach them with good Internet access. Yep. Well, we're, we are certainly um... – Articulating the point of view of the people who are against this change in net neutrality, uh, there's a there's a large body of folks who I pay attention to who think that this is um, uh, going to change the quality and availability of the internet forever, and so, and so it's it's worth understanding and knowing about. And so then what on else top we of it. I was going to say, but with all of this going on in the background, right, we are seeing a, a rapid increase in the amount of organizations that are using natural language processing algorithms and artificial intelligence. Um, one of the things I think you were able to sort of have a good conversation about earlier this morning, John, was that there is some some work being done in trying to, to help organizations figure out what they should do to basically um, – prepare for or basically get ready for the increased um, implementation of natural language processing or artificial intelligence algorithms that are coming into their organizations through various technologies. Uh, you said there's actually a, a commission working on this right now, right? Um, so there's a group of 
uh, folks in the academic world, University of Maryland, uh, Microsoft Research, Google, Colgate, UW, University of Michigan, Drexel, Cornell, University of Utah, University of Oxford, there's 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 a group of AI and algorithm-oriented folks from those universities who have built an operation um, called FAT slash ML, and that is Fairness, Accountability, and Transparency in Machine Learning is the is the name of the uh, organization, and they're trying to articulate the principles that allow for clear delivery of algorithmic tools um, in publicly accountable ways. And so they are um, trying to define the principles of good management. And so what they're saying is that Algorithms have the potential to have big societal impact and they affect people wherever you install them. So anytime you have an algorithm in a piece of software, you need to follow five basic principles. And they are responsibility, which means for every algorithm, you need to have a person who's responsible for it. Explainability, which means that for every algorithm, you need to be able to explain the data that drives the decisions uh, to stakeholders and end users. Accuracy means you need to be able to certify the quality of the output. Uh, auditability means you need to be able to look at decisions made using the algorithms and understand how they were made. And fairness, which is um, the the world that we're most interested in in HR, the freedom from discriminatory impact. So that's mm-hmm. responsibility, explainability, accuracy, audibility, and fairness. And then they provide guidelines for the key questions and key steps that you need to take to deploy those things. It's it's a good idea. It's a good idea, but you know the the other thing that we're that we're up against is there's a very small group of people who are capable of of actually developing and managing these tools, and the competition for their time and attention is going through the ceiling. So the starting salaries for people with with these sorts of skills are starting to look like. CEO level salaries. This is a good wow. place to get. This is a good place <laughs> to get a uh, undergraduate degree right now because uh, you can keep your parents in their old age, which I'm sure they'll appreciate. <laughs> um, yep. uh, but there are only a few. The systems aren't in place to produce a lot, and these tools are are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper by the moment. So we're about to see a whole lot of artificial intelligence and machine learning projects done by people who aren't trained. Which is, it was somewhat scary because if you, you know, it sort of reminds me of the early days, you know, of, of programming where, you know, programmers were in such high demand, you know, back in the day before people could sort of do a lot of work on, you know, sort of GUI based interfaces. Right. Um, and when GUI interfaces next came out to, you know, develop, basically software, almost anybody could develop software because they didn't need to understand the underlying um, 
language, but what happened in many cases is you created software that wasn't very good at integrating or that didn't have really good, you know, security, you know, um, backgrounds or that didn't have, you know, really great sort of um, ability to sort of um, grow or scale because you didn't understand the underlying issue. And is that something, is, is that similar to what we're going to be seeing here, this natural language processing issue and, and, and undergraduates coming out with, you know, that type of um, background? Well, it's 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 going to be amazing to understand this because the way that you do development in this area is not the way that you do development in software, mm-hmm. right? So, so this this initially sounds like another thing you throw over the wall to IT, but the basic processes that you use to do software development are not the same as the basic processes that you use to develop algorithmic insight. And so, so in many of the startups that, that I talk to, the two functions are kind of segregated, right? Data and intelligence mm-hmm. over on one side and software, which is more like the user interface and extraction from the database that's created by the software intelligence people um, um, is is how the company's organized. So what the scientists in the data science and machine learning segments do is build models where what the... Um, uh, build build and test models. What the software people yeah. do is more linear than that, and build, yes, yeah. uh, uh, and so and so it's going to be really interesting to see if we can generate the same kind of enthusiastic amateur that we developed in the early days of software, because it's more like that than it is other things. So the perfect person for this role is basically a behavior-based economist who understands algorithms and a really high levels of math, right? <laughs> oh, you know, I think the the perfect person for this is more like somebody who would have fun building a house of cards. Um and and is good at looking at a situation where you have to balance something on two supporting pieces to get the whole structure put together. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure at all that education is exactly how you get people who are good at this. It wasn't. Well, you know, in the early days of software, people didn't go to school to learn how to code. In fact, in fact, there was a, you know, sort of a, a sneering acceptance of people who went to school to learn how to code in the earliest days. Because you couldn't learn something in a classroom that you have to do late at night in your, uh, with, with pizza and beer. Um, well, but this, this one might be different though, because this does take really advanced levels of understanding of math as well as statistics uh, to do this. Wouldn't you say? Well, I'd say that my concern is actually that the advances in automation of these processes are designed to make that less and less necessary. 
Okay. Well, we might have to agree to disagree on this one, John, as we wrap up for the holiday week. Um, it'll be interesting to see who, who becomes the, the next generation of um, artificial intelligence programmers, uh, whether that will be the the people sitting in their um, basements uh, uh, pounding out, uh, was it card stacks, you said? <laughs> Or those the higher universities on this one. This is this could be the next conversation we have next week. <laughs> well, well, and 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 just remember that if you're waiting for the universities to produce these people, all of the people who could teach them are being courted away from the universities for three hundred fifty to four hundred thousand dollar a year paychecks, and so <laughs> so there's nobody in the universities to teach. That is true. I will. I will say that that is definitely one of the things we're seeing on the documentation right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, in other words, those who have them right now are going to be the ones. So, uh, it's, it's a shame. Uh, so, unless somebody really is excited by startups, they're going to be the ones that are struggling. Uh, so, as you said, That's a right. lot of people will be doing it with a limited amount of information. All right. Well, on that note, um, hopefully we. Uh, Give everybody else has a as a good happy Thanksgiving for those in the United States here, those outside the U.S. Hopefully, um, they have a good week, and, and we'll be back online on our regular time and date next week. Right, John? That's right. Oh, you know what? We're going to be a half hour early next week. Oh, okay. We're going to be a half hour early next week, so it'll be nine thirty Eastern instead of our usual ten o'clock Eastern. Which means you'll be up way before the birds then next week. Oh, week. I'll, be in, I'll be in beautiful <laughs> Miami, Florida. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so, so it will feel early to me, but it'll look like the middle of the morning to everybody else. That's right. You and guys will be at the recruiting conference. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. right. And with that, thanks for doing this, Stacey. Uh, uh, I hope everybody who's listening has a great holiday, and um, we will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye now. Bye.